You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. As we continue on in John chapter 21, we're in Galilee, back where Peter first met Jesus, where the call had gone out to follow him. That was three years before, and a lot has happened since then. Authoritative and transformational teaching, signs and wonders of the kingdom of God, widespread celebration that quickly turned to condemnation, death on a cross that led to an empty grave, a risen savior, and let's face it, lots of questions. What happens now? What comes next? And as it turns out, Jesus shows up as Peter and the disciples have gone back to fishing. And it turns out that the end looks a lot like the beginning. As empty nets become full and a table is set before the disciples by their resurrected rabbi, as bread is broken and fish are served, what at first looked like a conclusion is in fact the start of something new. Breakfast is served by Jesus on the beach beside a charcoal fire. And this is no small detail by John, especially for Peter. Peter has bad, lingering memories of what he did over a fire like this one. It's after they finished eating that Jesus directs his attention to Peter with a question. Interestingly, Jesus addresses him, did you catch this, as Simon, which means to hear, not as Peter the rock. The question is simple and direct, as Jesus gets, as he always does, to the heart of the matter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Not long ago, Peter had failed miserably, bottomed out in his faith. I mean, it would have been bad enough to have denied the Lord and to have betrayed him at the time when he did, but to have done so after making such a proud boast of his undying loyalty to Jesus was a face plant from which seemingly there was no coming back. In today's world, with our outrage culture, all backs would have been turned on Peter after this. He would have been shamed and silenced forever. Let's be honest, would we ever trust this guy again? But Jesus, thankfully, isn't like us. Three times, Jesus asks the question, do you love me? And three times, Peter answers in the same way. You know that I love you. Now, quite the fuss has been made about Jesus's use of the word love here. Specifically, the different words Jesus uses for love as he questions Peter. You've probably heard that the first two times Jesus questions Peter, he uses the Greek word agape, supposedly the great New Testament word expressing God's love and ours. Peter, however, you might have heard, is quoted as responding with a different Greek word, phileo, another common word for love, as in brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, comes from this word. Jesus then asks a third time, Peter using this word phileo instead of agape, and Peter answers as he has before, again using phileo. The supposed point being made out of all of this is that Jesus is asking Peter whether he has the higher form of love for him, agape. But Peter, his self-confidence shattered by his threefold betrayal of Jesus on the night of his arrest, can only muster a lower, weaker form of love, 
phileo. And so Jesus meets Peter where he's at by descending to that lower level of love with his third question. But my friends, here's the thing. These Greek verbs for love are used synonymously by John in his gospel, and they're not used distinctively from each other. For example, John, in referring to himself in this gospel account as this, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uses both verbs in that description, agape and phileo. Both verbs are used by John in declaring the love that the Father has for the Son. Both verbs are used in describing Jesus' love for Lazarus. Both verbs are used of the Father's love for his people, for us. The fact is, there's no linguistic evidence that one form of love represents a higher or lower form. One word expresses that. John is just known for stylistic variation in his writings. So I'm sorry if this is a heartbreak to you. And rather than getting wrongly fixated on what the word for love is being used here, we ought to notice something more obvious and significant. How Peter responds to Jesus's question. Three times, Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you. No longer is there the proud boasting of some days before. Do you remember it? When Peter said, Lord, even if everyone else betrays you, I never shall. No, here, Peter offers the far better, the far wiser response. Lord, you know that I love you. Peter replies, in effect, Lord, despite what I have done, despite my betrayal, despite the boast I made and did not keep, you know that I love you. My friends, this story is a personal one. It's about Peter. But let's face it, Peter's story is our story, isn't it? Because this is the story of a well-intentioned but consistently broken person, someone who talks a good game, but in practice fails to live out all his bravado. This is the story of us, you and me, filled with the Spirit and confessing Jesus as the Christ in one moment, and then getting full of ourselves and denying Jesus with our very next breath. The sharp pendulum swings of Peter's faith journey may be timed differently than our own, but those peaks and valleys are part of the trajectory of any follower of Jesus. In this sense, Peter's life is every Christian's life. Today, as we picture Jesus asking us, do you love me? Surely, each of us can find ourselves answering like Peter does here. I'm always telling the Lord, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. You know it, even though we both know my life doesn't always reflect my love for you as it should. It doesn't take much for me to think more of myself than I do you. I have a bad habit of speaking my mind without first listening to what you are saying to my heart. Lord, you know that I love you, even though fear often grips me, especially when I feel threatened, particularly by what others think of me. And when I am afraid, you know that I love you, even though I openly deny you, maybe not always in what I say, but often in what I fail to do. Lord, you know my heart, broken and divided as it is, a work in progress by your grace like everything else about me. You can see into the depths with all its cracks and crevices of hardness, you are able to create in me a clean heart, to resurrect my deepest longings and my most fundamental convictions about you. Lord, in the midst of my unbelief, you know that I continue to realize there is nowhere else, no one else to whom I can turn for the words of eternal life. 
Despite my bad habit of sin, Lord, you know that deep down, I am increasingly coming to understand that there is nothing this world can offer me. Ease and comfort, fortune and fame, none of it will satisfy or fulfill me like you. Lord, you know that I love you because all of these insights are not my own, but have been given to me by you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, you know that I love you because my love for you is only possible because you have loved me first. What follower of Jesus is there who has not thought, who has not spoken to the Lord in this way, appealing to Jesus's knowledge of our love for him even as we doubt ourselves? As Peter keeps repeating the same answer to Jesus's question, John tells us that Peter was hurt when the Lord asked the question the third time, as if Jesus hadn't believed Peter the first two times. But clearly, Peter did not understand at first what Jesus was doing here. The threefold repetition of the question by Jesus is for emphasis, surely, but it is also almost certainly stemming from Peter's previous threefold denial of him. Jesus is giving Peter an opportunity to take back his denial with a threefold assertion of his love and loyalty, based not on what Peter thinks he knows, but based on abiding in what Jesus knows about him. Lord, you know that I love you. It is a beautiful thing, I think, that the Lord asked his question of Peter three times. I mean, what a better way was there of completely undoing what Peter had done of wiping it off the slate, each denial matched with another confession of love. This is reconciliation according to the way of Jesus. No shaming, no I told you so. Confession and repentance are provoked by preparing a meal, breaking bread with your enemy, and seeking their love. My friends, is that how we seek to make peace with those who've wronged us? Maybe we should consider taking a page out of Jesus's book. Because there's great comfort. There's living hope in what happens here. That even if we have stumbled, even if we have miserably failed to live worthy of the grace we have been given, even if we have denied and betrayed the Lord times without number, Jesus knows that we love him. Jesus does not stop ever forgiving us. Jesus continues to offer us grace. I don't know about you, but I need that word today. Honestly, I need that word every day. But what's incredible is the word of the Lord doesn't stop there. Even more wonderfully, more importantly, each of Peter's denials here is matched with an assertion by Jesus that Peter is not only forgiven, but accepted and restored, not put out to pasture, but recommissioned to follow and to serve. In each case, the Lord accepts Peter's declaration and responds by giving him a commission. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. The Lord was still quite prepared to have Peter as his follower and ambassador. Peter's failure does not disqualify him from serving in a position of leadership and trust, Peter is given a job to do, life-transforming, world-changing work in which he gets to participate. It's a repetition of the same call that came before at the beginning of his journey with Jesus, 
to leave his nets and to become a fisher of people, as now he is called to become an under-shepherd to the good shepherd. Peter is called to live for the glory of the Lord by serving God's people. And my friends, once again, Peter's story is our story. The call placed upon his life is the same call placed upon ours. Like Peter, despite our failures, out of the forgiveness of Christ, we are recommissioned back into leadership and service. We often speak of loving Christ, but here, as Jesus embraces Peter's love, he reinforces what it means to truly love him, to serve others. That's it. Jesus elsewhere put it this plainly. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And repeatedly, what did Jesus declare to be the higher law, the command which encompasses all others from heaven? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Here in this exchange with Peter, the greatest commandment and the great commission are wed together. To love Jesus is to love his people all the children of God. To love Jesus is to tend, to care, and to feed his flock, not just our flock, his flock, to offer to all persons what will give them life and health and strength. What a word for such a time as this. And what's remarkable to me is Jesus gives Peter this recommissioning, even as Jesus also delivers Peter's death sentence foretelling the manner in which Peter would depart from this life. Think about that. Peter gets to live the rest of his life under the shadow of this prediction, knowing that the work he was called to do was great, preaching to the nations and caring for the people of God. But the time he had for living out this recommission was short. Peter, perhaps not all that pleased with what he's just heard, did you notice this? He reverts to his former self for a moment as he begins to ask about John. What about him? And Jesus, as graciously as ever, redirects Peter to what matters most. Don't worry about him. You follow me. Beloved, once again, Peter's story is our story too. Part of what we confront through the cross is the reality that we stare death squarely in the face every day. The pandemic is just making this more obvious. Our season in this life remains short and limited, regardless of what we think or how we try to deny it. And there's no margin, therefore, for us to squander the time we have been given. Peter is openly told here that he's going to die for Christ, physically be put to death. We may not be called to give our lives in this way, but we are all called, all of us called to surrender our lives in the sense of putting the needs of others before our own desires and wants. And for us at this news, before the call of dying to ourselves, we, like Peter, tend to have the same response as he did. We look around and find someone else and think, well, hey, I've got it tougher compared to that person. What about my rights? What about me? What about him or her? And Jesus answers just like he does here. We are not to be concerned about anyone else's future, including our own. Our concern is to follow him. And we can follow Jesus no matter wherever he takes us, even to the end of ourselves, because what we also receive from Jesus through his resurrection 
is the power to face our death whenever it comes without fear. Our time here is short, but the entirety of our life, thanks to Jesus, is eternal. Therefore, with the time we have, we can love like Jesus, boldly and courageously, radically and outrageously, not having to look over our shoulder all the time, not having to worry about trying to make a name for ourselves. No, we can trust this life we now live with great care and urgency is but an investment in the everlasting life to come for all who are in Christ. In case you missed it, for Jesus, not just here, but throughout the Gospels, love is the only thing that matters. Being loved by him and loving him with our lives. Being loved by Jesus is accepting him for who he is and what he offers. Being loved by Jesus is living our lives daily out of the freedom and the strength of the promise that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. In the love that Jesus has for us, there are as many new beginnings as we have sins and as we have days. Being loved by Jesus is also to welcome and to continue to embrace his perspective on this world, his desire for the redemption and reconciliation of all creation, for unity, not division, for forgiveness, not retaliation, for justice, not compromise, for love, not indifference. Loving Jesus is understanding our calling to serve Christ has not at all been nullified by our many failures to do so. It is appreciating that grace given is grace meant to be shared. To profess our love for Christ is to accept our neighbor for who they are, a child of God created in his image just like the rest of us. To say we love Jesus is to love others, everyone, the way Jesus loves us, unconditionally, selflessly, sacrificially, even to the point of, yes, dying to ourselves. Today, every day, Jesus meets us where we are and asks, do you love me? Let us answer, relying not on ourselves, what we think we know, but on what Christ knows, following where Jesus leads, loving him by loving each other out of the perfect love that he first and always offers to us.